Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, you know the subject of the talk tonight. <clears throat> and I'm feeling really uh, actually fortunate that I'm I get to talk about forgiveness because it's uh, it is I think it's a little high. How's that? It is um, one of my favorite topics, um, and I also get to do it on the third night after you've kind of settled in a bit. So maybe by now you're starting to come in for a landing. It takes a few days to get here, doesn't it? And uh, uh, can feel in the hall quite a quite a settledness and uh, hope that you appreciate that you're probably in a different place now than when you first came here, would you say? <clears throat> Maybe that, not that different, but you know, <laughs> a little different, you know, you take what you can get um, and then let go. Um, forgiveness is really uh, crucial to the meta process because um, it allows the metta to flow out of us. When we're locked in, when we are feeling anger or resentment or there's something that's, that's really catching us in our hearts, in our minds because of, uh, of hurts, then the metta can't flow freely as it naturally would otherwise. And uh, although we might feel very right and justified and have lots of good reasons why we should be ticked off at somebody or angry with them for something that's happened years ago, it's a huge price to pay. Because the price that's paid is our hearts are closed in some way. And you probably um, can see that in the meta process when sometimes things come up and other than meta and you know, there's past hurts and resentments and they snag us and, and keep, that, um, keep us a bit stuck. This is from um, a Tibetan Lama. He's named Lama Garchen, um, who had been jailed and tortured by the Chinese for 20 years, yet somehow improbably only strengthened his powers of forgiveness. And he says, ordinarily, if your enemy harms you, you will feel anger. This makes your mind like water frozen into ice by the cold. In order to melt it, we need sunlight, which is the cultivation of compassion and forgiveness. He talks about it in terms of the mind. I, I think just as, well, you could say the heart gets frozen and forgiveness just starts to thaw things a little bit. And all you need is just a touch of thaw, just a for me, sometimes just a, a moment of connection with my heart, a, a moment of sensitivity that 
that just relaxes a little bit, that maybe a, a tear can certainly thaw a whole glacier of, of heart, and then that you can feel it beginning to ease, as James Taylor says in one of my favorite songs. You can feel it beginning to ease. And it's particularly helpful in the metta process because as we're doing this practice, often, commonly, old stuff comes up. And I mentioned this in one of the groups and perhaps uh, others that you've, you've heard this from the other teachers, that this is a kind of purification process that naturally brings up all the stuff that gets in the way of loving kindness. I think of it, I remember um, when, I was, when I was young, and if you're in my age group, you might remember the old, uh, uh, I don't know if it was Ajax or, or uh, Babo commercial, a cleanser, but it was kind of like the cleanser in the sink would lift the dirt Remember that? And they'd show the dirt being lifted from the porcelain and just kind of coming up and all the gunk. And it's like, what? The, 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 the sink started out looking fairly white. You know, This is in the days of black and white. But then as, as it lifts out, you see all this dirt underneath. And then it's, oh, that's really white. You know? Well, the metta practice does that. It kind of <laughs> lifts the gunk out and cleans you out. It's really a cleansing process. Uh, the other, the other da- night when uh, when Guy was talking, uh, it was last night. Um, he mentioned something that uh, was strikingly similar to my uh, an experience I had in my first meta retreat. Um, he had mentioned that he had that he wrote down his ten worst things. Well, on this one retreat, as I'm saying, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. These memories kept coming up one after another after another of really awful things in my life that when they came up, I just would cringe. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Ooh, no, I can't believe I did that. And it was like there were just one after another and um, it it was very painful at some point, I decided, just like Guy, that I would write down all the awful things that I'd done. And I decided I'd make a list, but I was, actually there was a cleverness in this. I didn't realize it. I didn't plan it. I said, I'm going to write the 20 worst things. <laughs> Maybe I had an intuition there were more than 10. And... I said, okay, I'm just going just gonna to list them all. And I wrote down what I thought were going to be the top 20 really bad things. Right? I won't get into the details right now. Uh, I'm still here to, to you know, tell the story. And I was so grateful because I only could come up with 17 really <laughs> bad on that caliber. You know. But it was really, it was so humbling. And as, I, as they kept on coming up, it was, it was quite extraordinary. I had to kind of wince and cringe and say, oh, yes, oh, that too, oh, oh, that too. 
one thing that I did see in that process is that they all disturbed me, which was a good sign because 20 years before, they wouldn't have disturbed me. It was like, oh, yeah, they make, that makes sense and that makes sense. But that change was significant. And, and so that's something that you might keep in mind as you maybe go through your own purification process. So as I talk about forgiveness, I'm going to talk on a few different um, levels or areas. And as Sylvia did in the, in the uh, guided practice this afternoon, um, it needs to start with forgiving ourselves. We can be, have all the good intention in the world, but we can be so hard on ourselves and have such high standards that it's very hard to measure up to what we think we should be. And you start seeing the awareness and the, the metta start showing all of those flaws in our, in our being and in our history. And I um, particularly want to speak to the perfectionists in the group um, this comes up a lot in, in meditation when you're starting to learn how to meditate and you just, okay, I really want to be a good meditator and, oh, I want to have a mind that just stays on the breath or stays with the phrases or, and your mind is everywhere but, you've noticed, haven't you? If you have a high standard, if you have a perfectionist streak in you, it's very discouraging. And I saw that in my own practice, particularly in my, my earlier years when I, was, when I was quite hard on myself or had high standards. And one day it dawned on me that the best I could do as a perfectionist, the best anyone can do as a perfectionist is break even. <laughs> okay, you do it perfectly, all right, that's the way it's supposed to be. Anything less, I've blown it. And there you are feeling down in the dumps. So there's no winning in that level. Forgiveness is a, a, a larger heart that takes in the imperfections. As we're learning this quality of forgiveness, we can take it right into the sitting practice. First, forgiving our bodies. It's not usual that you sit down, sit still, and it's just, you know, cruise control. And here you are, ah, yeah, it's so nice to be still. The body, sooner or later, is going to say, hey, check me out here. It might be comforting to know that even the Buddha had back aches <laughs> and headaches and different kinds of aches. It's not that you do it wrong if your body aches. It's just having a body. That's part of the package. How do you relate to your body when it doesn't cooperate? When your knee hurts or your shoulder or something that's been, that's a chronic condition. A typical response is getting frustrated and angry with it. Why can't I do better. Why is my body not cooperating? All that does is contract us, is lock us in, and we feel 
tighter. That's not the answer. Healing comes in a spaciousness. So notice how you relate to your body what it needs then, and as you, if you've done any research on healing, it needs love. You might be sending metta to that body part that has done its best to try to serve you. You know, your, your back or your feet or your whatever it is, your body really is doing its best. And most of the time, you don't even realize when there's a problem because it's healing all by itself. You get a cut, it knows just how to heal itself. You get a bruise, same thing. You get a cold, if you just kind of give it a little bit of a rest, somehow the cure is right there in the body. The body knows. But we get frustrated when it's not operating on all cylinders. Metta for your body is a really good place to start with forgiveness. Same with your mind. How do you relate to your mind when it doesn't stay on the phrases? Do you get angry with it? A very natural thing to do. But if you get angry with it, all that does is contract and agitate the mind. You're doing the best you can. And the key is not taking it personally, because that's what minds do. Sometimes they can be here, often they wander. If you don't take ownership of the experience, it's just seeing, oh, this is how the mind works. Instead of, oh, look at my mind, it's, oh, this is how the mind works. This is, this is the laboratory that you've been given. The Buddha has this line, in this fathom-long body, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. And this is the, the mind and the body that you've been issued to understand certain principles of the human experience. And the more you can make friends with this one, the more you can understand those principles, the more you see that we all share the same situation. So, having forgiveness towards your body, towards your mind when it's spinning out, particularly forgiveness for yourself, to, towards yourself for your mind when it gets into trouble. Not just getting lost off the object, but getting into some dark alleys or some spaces that you can't believe you're in again. This is where very profound forgiveness practice takes place. Here you are doing the best you can, but somehow you get lost. How can you bring forgiveness to that? I want to share a story. I'm going to share one story that my colleagues have have heard many times that I thought about, well, should I spare them? But it was really my turning point in forgiveness for myself, forgiveness and compassion. So uh, I'll share it with you. And um, I think there's some people who haven't heard it before. It was on my, um, my first long retreat, long, you know, three-month course at, uh, at, at Barry. And I was really getting into, as I often do, um, just a slow a slow mode. It just kind of feels good. This is not on a metta retreat where, you know, that's the cool thing. You do metta and 
you don't have to look anything, you're just kind of saying the phrases, everybody's going their own speed. Well, some people on Vipassana retreats just kind of get into a slow mode because it feels good, not that you're trying anything, but I was just trying to do anything for, for any outside reference, although that can easily happen. <clears throat> on one retreat, I started labeling and just noticing lifting, moving, looking good, lifting, looking good, which is very humbling, but um, I was just seeing what was there. But on this, in this uh, practice, I was all by myself in the, um, in the gym at the time, the gym at, at IMS, and I decided to see how slowly I could go, just as an experiment, kind of do... Marcel Marceau in imitation. It just and it felt so cool. Oh, so neat. Oh, this is. And in the middle of this, somebody came into the, the walking room who had just come onto the retreat. Because in those first years, they tacked on a two-week retreat at the end, towards the end of a three-month course. And you can I don't know why they did that. They only, they only did it a couple of years and. But you can really feel the difference in someone's energy. And I was sure this is going to look very bizarre to this person. And I wasn't going to stop my experiment. There I was. I'm just going to be true to myself. Right? After about two minutes, after going back and forth you know, in a kind of rather faster pace, this person bolted out of the walking room. <laughs> in what I thought was being humbled by the, you know, the comparison. And as she, as she walked past my field of vision, the thought came to me, wow, I really blew her mind. She must think I am a great yogi. Right? Well, I was quiet enough and clear enough to hear that thought reverberate in every cell in my body. <laughs> and from this very slow walking, I couldn't believe it. It was like I opened up into this trapdoor of ego and presentation and image and yuck and ooh. And I started to be like a caged tiger, just going back and forth much faster than a few moments before saying, God, I can't believe it. I've been doing this for two months and there's so much ego and oh, I'll never get rid of it. And I was going on like that for a few minutes until finally it occurred to me the millions and millions of times I had that thought of looking good and presentation and just, oh, I'm okay, aren't I? that would normally not have even been caught, except I was a little bit more clear. So I caught it, and when I reflected on those millions of times of hoping to be okay, hoping to look good, this wave of compassion and forgiveness came over me that I remember it like yesterday. And it was, it was one of the first profound moments of, of reflecting, oh, you're doing the best you can. Did you expect that you'd undo a lifetime of conditioning in a few months? 
And I believed by that time in lifetime after lifetime. So countless lifetimes. That just completely boggled my mind. Just thinking, oh, be a little bit kinder to yourself. You're really trying to shift things. And it might take a little while to get rid of those tendencies. Notice when you get stuck, just reflect on the conditioning and the practice that you've put in the other way just because you didn't know any better. Self-judgment is one of the most common obstacles, one of the most common challenges, one of the most common um, invitations for us to break through to a deep level of forgiveness and an open-heartedness. And the more we can do that, the more we start to allow for forgiving others. I'll share with you, since I um, um, since I have the opportunity, one of my main practices that I also share on on retreats, one of my main practices around the judging mind, which for me was uh, a two-year practice, actually, because I've got a pretty good judging mind. Better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, by the way, judgment is there even at the third stage of enlightenment, out of the four stages, the fourth stage, you're a fully enlightened being. The third stage of enlightenment, there's still judging in the mind. So if you find that that's so for you, just reflect you're no higher than third stage anyway. <laughs> but you've got a lot of company. So I, I really needed to do something with this judging mind because it was very, very painful. And what I finally hit upon, there's lots of different ways, being humorous with it, uh, giving it space, but for me, I saw that the way I noticed my judging mind was conditioning the whole syndrome. And this is if you're using mindfulness practice and you use mental noting, this is, uh, this is a very helpful tool if you just shift it, just tweak it a little bit. You can be sitting there and noticing, you know, oh, I've wandered again. Darn it, I lost the phrases. And then it's, oh, judging. I'm supposed to be forgiving and judging. <laughs> and then you realize, darn it, I just judged again. You know, shoot. And you can just add one layer on top of another, 15 layers of judging. There's no escape from that. But at any point, if you bring kindness to the process, so that rather than saying, judging, judging, and beating yourself like a sledgehammer, if you say it with the kindest tone, you cultivate compassion right in that moment. So this is my practice, like you, if you... If you would, just put your hand on your cheek right now. And you can close your eyes so you don't look silly or feel silly. Everybody's got their eyes closed. And just suppose you really 
saw yourself doing it, just whipping, self-flagellation, and just you're noticing, oh, judging, there I am judging again. Now one time, be Kuan Yin, the, the embodiment of compassion, as you caress your cheek in the, in the kindest voice, silently say to yourself, judging, judging, like it's okay, judging. And just let yourself feel that kindness. Okay, can you feel it? Could you feel it just for a moment? That was, I didn't do this for two years, although sometimes I did, but just I invite you to do that so you get a visceral sense of what it's like to bring that kindness to the recognition. If you do nothing else but notice your judging mind in that way, it would be a profound retreat because you are cultivating compassion every time there's judging that arises in the mind. And I can tell you, it works over time. If, you, if you're very patient and you keep on noticing with that kind voice, let the Kuan Yin in you do the noting, because that brings, brings her out more and more and more. A quote I came across, an anonymous quote, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. It is interesting how we can somehow think, oh, I'm not enough. You know, if I could only be better. You are perfectly yourself. And as the metta practice goes as you've been taught, reflecting on your good qualities is one of the most important avenues to start opening up that metta. Your good qualities and all the different categories. Reflecting on your, no, on your noble qualities. And sometimes it's hard to see them from the inside. It is strange how that works. Albert Einstein has this phrase, an optical delusion of consciousness. From the inside, we somehow can't give ourselves the same benefit of the doubt or see who we really are as we would from another perspective. Something else, since this is one shot that I I get to to do it with you, that I found helpful for my own metta for self uh, is a practice that I'll just invite you right now. Just go inside and bring a dear friend or your benefactor to, to mind and just have them right here with you. Just imagine they're right here and share the energy that you share. Just feel that sweetness that is there between you and your friend or your benefactor. And as you connect with that shared energy that love that's so uh, rich. Just for a few moments, inhabit your friend's reality and look through their eyes. Imagine being them and seeing who they see when they're with 
their dear friend. Just see what it is that makes them so enjoy being with you. What touches them about you, the different qualities, your noble qualities. Just drink yourself in, as one poet says. Just for a moment, get who you are from that vantage point because your being shines through even when you don't think it does. Really see who you are. Delight in it, if that's available. And then let your consciousness travel back right inside your own skin, right inside your body, and stay connected with what you just saw. And from the inside, see if you can feel it, if you can connect with it. Those noble qualities that touch others. And just see this being is so worthy of kindness and love and appreciation. And send yourself just a wish to be happy. Okay, you can open your eyes. I'm just wondering how many people were able to get a glimpse of themselves that way. Just raise your hand. Wonderful. If you raise your hand, you can't pretend you don't see it. No more. You can't pretend. You might forget, but having even just a little glimpse, it means you have the capacity to love yourself. And right inside, there is this beautiful being beyond all the the foibles, all the flaws that you see. I'll share this beautiful poem by a woman named Rashani who actually did the, um, the gratitude painting in the dining room. And this poem is, is uh, available in the bookstore. I really love it. She says, There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. A shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. That's who you really are underneath all of that brokenness and fragility. There's a place the Buddha or Kwan in you is waiting to come out. Just believe in her and him. See, see her or him in there and 
invite, allow to shine through. That's what we're doing with the metta practice. Forgiving ourself. I just want to invite you for a moment to reflect what needs forgiveness right now? You might just go inside the last day or or two or in your life situation. What needs forgiveness? Your judgments or your pettiness or your fears or your sadnesses or And then just ask, what would I need to understand to forgive myself? You might imagine Kuan Yin or the Buddha showing you how, what you'd need. And then take another leap and be Kuan Yin, forgiving yourself. Just Offer that to yourself. I forgive myself for this. Even if it might seem like an idea and not feeling it in your body, just bring a tenderness to your humanness. I forgive myself for that. Another way that we need forgiveness or often feel like we, we have unresolved issues is when we've hurt another and we get plagued by things that we've done, like those 17 awful things. And it's very common to just get into a real deep space of, of guilt. I come from a lineage of guilt I, I know guilt, right? And it doesn't get you anywhere. The Buddha did not say, reflect on your unskillful acts and then get really guilty. <laughs> In fact, he said quite the opposite. He said, reflect on what you've done that's caused harm and then bring wise remorse, as I think Guy mentioned or, or Sally Wise remorse is seeing, oh, wow, I did that, and that's how it feels. It feels yucky. It doesn't feel good. But then commit yourself to learn from that. Use that as a springboard, as saying, okay, I've had enough. I don't need to do that. Then your past unwholesome deeds become a a kind of inspiration for you to change course. Forgiving, asking forgiveness from another and what you might do is just take a few moments. We can take it just now for a moment. Just uh, You might have some unfinished business, something that you've done that's been plaguing you or bothering you. And as you reflect on it, Just see the confusion that was operating when you caused harm or suffering, either knowingly or unknowingly. Because that's what happens. We just get confused. We don't see clearly. And as you see that, you can be forgiving the confusion 
And then just imagine the person that you would like forgiveness from right here with you. And mentally or heartfully, just explain your own confusion in a few moments and ask for forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness. I'm so sorry. Okay. You can, these are just kind of dropping little seeds in and you can continue to work with them on your on your own if it feels useful. So then comes the next stage, forgiving others. A whole other ball of wax, isn't it? But it's really the same because the more you can learn forgiveness for yourself, the more you can... It naturally flows towards others. It's so easy to get caught in our righteousness and justification and conflicts. And for this portion of the the talk, and I can't believe I only have the time amount that I do left, but uh, for this portion of the talk, I want to um, share a a bit more from this book that Sally read yesterday, or the other night, from uh, Field Notes on the Compassionate Life by Mark Ian Barish. It's a fabulous book. It's, I think, the best book on compassion um, that that I've come along uh, come across in a long time, and um, in fact, I just did a, a seven-week series in my Berkeley group on on different principles in the talk uh, in the book, and he writes so beautifully that um, I'll share some with it. And there's a, a large section on forgiveness. This is, he says the or one person says, uh, is the, the essence of the kind of conflicts that happen. This is an international negotiator who is helping him getting through this grudge that he'd had for 18 years. It's, it's, it's quite a great story, but I won't get into that. But she says, um, he says, I'd been embarrassed to bother her with my petty grievance. She's somebody who would get the Hutus uh, and the Tutsis together in Rwanda, and here he was asking for this little grudge, right? He says, I'd been embarrassed to bother her with my petty grievance, but she waved off my objections. It's always the same story, she told me. Whether broken friendships, marriages on the rocks, businesses gone sour, or war's grim remains of the day, the heart shuts down, encapsulates the injury... There's the denial of the other human, the other's human decency, the refusal to empathize, then the memory button set on endless replay, <laughs> the cosseting of grudges, the craving for revenge, the solution to acknowledge your own pain, put yourself in the enemy's place, and try to let go. Although wrenching, painstaking, it's the only way out of the box. The Buddha talks about holding on to anger 
like you're holding on to a hot coal and wanting to throw it at the other person, not realizing that you're the one that's getting burned. Right? Now they might be in Hawaii having a great time lounging on the beach and there you are. Ah, yeah. Who's getting burned? So the thing to remember is that this forgiveness towards another is not just so that you can make things nice between the two of you. It's for your own healing. As the, the Dalai Lama has this expression, selfish altruism, which he says is a, a good thing in, in compassion. You know, we're motivated because compassion feels good. It feels good to be kind and caring with somebody else. It's the same way with forgiveness. Selfish altruism, I will forgive, but it's also because it's too painful to not forgive. And I want to also put a caveat in here that you can't hurry up the process and say, okay, well, let's get on with it. I can't believe I'm still stuck in here. Sometimes there's deep hurt and deep trauma that we have to go through layers and levels of rage and grief and hurt and pain. But just to know that as you move towards that direction of greater and greater letting go, there's the healing in the heart. This is uh, Desmond Tutu, one of my heroes, who says, To forgive is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive you so that my anger and resentment and lust for revenge don't corrode my being. I recently uh, got into a, uh, an anger or resentment about somebody who I thought just didn't do things so cool. And I was, you know, resenting the way that it was, it was coming out. And um, I was just kind of replying, yeah, but should have, you know, didn't they get it? I wasn't very respectful, this and that. And then as I was reading this book and giving these talks on forgiveness, you know, kind of like wakes you up, okay, what is going on here? And I could see all the mind moments and energies that it drains. You know, it's like when you said keeping on replaying that, that... that button, every time, you know, mm, yeah, but, ooh, it's very exhausting. And if that were somehow seen through, ah, it frees up so much energy. And it got clear that I really needed to open my heart back to this person and, and, um, and really connect with them. There's, besides that ease, there are some definite benefits to, uh, to forgiveness in a very practical way. Okay. Scientific research, it always helps to have some scientific studies, <laughs> indicates that forgiveness increases self-esteem and decreases anxiety. In one trial, men in a drug and alcohol treatment program who trained in forgiveness showed significantly less depression. And there are implications for physical health. While holding a grudge fuels anger and resentment, 
producing damaging stress hormones. Cardiac patients, by the way, who blame others for their initial heart attack are more likely to have reinfarctions. Positive emotions like forgiveness lead to lowered heart rate and reduced blood pressure. So, how do we do this? It sounds like a good idea. Okay, just how do I do that? How can I make that leap? Well, we have to acknowledge, as was said, our pain, our sense of failure, our shame that can often come up. Shame and humiliation are a big piece in, uh, in grudges, as it's pointed out, and particularly in wars. I don't know if I'll get a chance for that, but humiliation and shame, when you've felt shamed, it's very, very um, profound hurt that is hard to let go of. But to acknowledge all of that, to heal somehow that shattered sense of self-worth, to grieve the loss of faith that perhaps you had in somebody and other people. It takes courage to open up all of those wounds. But if you don't, they're just festering anyway. And then, as you get in touch with all the pain, the magical piece, understanding the other person's reality. Understanding their condition, the conditioning that would make them do something unskillful. Last year, it was about a year and a half ago, I sat at a a retreat in uh, the Forest Refuge and my my life history, as sometimes happens, kind of played through in a much quicker way than it did the first long retreat I, I sat on. But it was just seeing my being as a product of my family and seeing my, you know, that wasn't news to me, and seeing my, but seeing my mother and father as a product of their conditioning and just seeing back and back and back and back. And the, 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 the title of the insight uh, was a title of a book by Trungpa Rinpoche, which is a, a, it's a fabulous title. The book is pretty good too, but the title says it all, Dharma's Without Blame. And it just, it was so clear to me, there's no blame anywhere. It's just conditioning being passed on, being passed on, being passed on. Everybody trying to do the best they could. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in, um, in uh, Berkeley. I live in Berkeley, and I was in the, uh, at UC Berkeley um, for some, some uh, event. And I was going through the, the halls, and this poster um, kind of jumped out at me that has stayed in my consciousness a lot since I saw it. And it said, it had a picture of this, of this um, uh, little child who was in a, not a good way. And it said... Um, a child brought up in a home with domestic violence is 700 times more likely to be involved in that in their adulthood. Isn't that amazing? 700 more times, either as a, a victim or a perpetrator. 
So although it's horrific, who do you, who do you blame? It's not an accident that that happens. That's the extreme, understanding the conditioning and understanding the reality. As it says, is a, a, a Mahayana Sutta, it says, Buddhas see delusion as the enemy. Buddhas see delusion as the enemy, not the childish who possess it. It's just the real villain is ignorance. The real villain is not seeing clearly, not that person who is the subject of their own conditioning and just carries that out and carries that on. That's where forgiveness has a chance to to emerge by seeing, by understanding why somebody does what they do. We all do what we do because it makes sense to us in the moment. As bizarre as it might be, it makes sense to us. And there's a story in, in, this, uh, in this book about, um, in the chapter entitled Loving the Monster, where this um, person who killed um, another, uh, another man's beloved, killed this uh, beloved daughter, and in this amazing um, story, profound story. The, the father um, made a commitment to keep his heart open to this, to this man. And in fact, when he learned what kind of, what happened and where, what, who this man was inside and the conditioning that came through, he kind of adopted him. And through his own love, uh, transformed this man, let me see if I can get it. I think it's uh, around here. I'll just read a little bit because it's so, so profound. He said, I'm going to find it. Here it is. Okay. This is Ivan, the, the murderer who killed while he was high on crack cocaine and heard this voice say, you're supposed to kill this person. And he's in prison, a really high guy in prison. Oh, I have a chance to give a lot, he tells me. I'm in a place where a lot of people are going through pressure, having flare-ups. I try to point out stuff to them, keep them out of trouble, maybe just that day. I believe if each man just sat down and not dwell on his past, but look over his life to see what he started, the envy and the strife and how his attitude is making him now, it would humble him. I learned this, a soft answer to anybody will turn away wrath. Sometimes you can hear two people yelling at each other, tensions building. If one of them answers in not a harsh way, the other's going to stop. Because you've got to have wood to make a fire burn. Without enough wood, the fire ain't going to burn. And then he says, I'm going to live out my natural life in prison. So I have to treat this as my home and do what I can to make my home a peaceful place. My future is to speak right or just walk right, just to be an example if I can, if I can. Encourage someone no matter where they're at. That's just how I look at it. And he and Hector, the the father of the the, uh, murdered daughter, 
have this amazing bond where they've shown each other the power of forgiveness and, and love. Just by Hector seeing the conditioning and keeping his heart open, that points to something else about forgiveness, that it is acknowledging impermanence. It's acknowledging that things change and people change. Because when you're not able to forgive, you're freeze-framing somebody in a particular mode. Just imagine somebody taking a picture of you in your most humbling moment, you know, as you're kind of losing it with your kid, and you're going, and they go, click, you know. There they are. Ooh, what an unpleasant person, you know. And they put it in their pocket. Six months later, yep, still unpleasant, you know. (laughs) Ten years later, oof, yeah, don't want to hang out with that person. Forgiveness is acknowledging how things change. We all change. Thank goodness, change is possible. So, acknowledging, feeling the hurt, understanding another's reality, and somehow opening your heart to see that they're not so different from you. Longfellow has this line, if we could read the secret history of our enemy, we should find enough sorrow and suffering to disarm all hostility. When I was a, a school teacher, uh, I was a school teacher in New York mainly for, for many years, and I used to have this challenge at the beginning of the year to find the key to every kid's heart. I didn't care so much about the curriculum and about the, my lesson plans weren't all that great, but that was my assignment. And some kids, it was so easy because they just, you know, dazzling with their delight. And some kids, it really takes work. And sometimes it would just be in the quietest moments when just the two of us. But it was always possible. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you could see their goodness, that love dissolves the fear and dissolves the acting out in confusion. This is a a great story from Jack's book on on forgiveness. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. The tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken. A joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. Sounds like a cool place to grow up, huh? (laughs) That's what we need, not more anger. That is where the healing is, to remind us of, of who we are. When you can see 
somebody else's reality, understand it, then you have an insight into why. Then forgiveness is possible. Then change of attitude is possible. Then change of relationship is possible. Hmm. Just for a moment, um, take a moment and think of somebody who's been hard for you to forgive. And if you're going through something very intense, then you know may, you can might choose somebody who's a little bit more accessible. And just for a moment, get in touch with their confusion, with their not seeing clearly, their ignorance in the the Dharma sense. And forgive that. It's not like you're condoning the action, but it's like you're forgiving the confusion. I forgive you. I forgive your confusion. If you can just incline the mind, not possibility. If you can't, then Just forgive yourself for being right where you are. Start it right there. You can continue to work on that on your own time. Martin Luther King says, You have no moral persuasive power with anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. You might feel superior but there'll never be a kind of openness, a kind of connection. And in the same, in the same way, that, that contempt and that, that, it's like I think of the, the, uh, in the Bible, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened each time after each plague. You know, that's a very heavy thing to do. Hard-hearted, it's very painful. And this is the way out. The Buddha talked about seeing beyond the separation, seeing that we're all human beings, we're all sentient beings, and even beyond that, deconstructing the self, where we're simply five aggregates of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And in that deconstructing that sense of separation, the love can flow. And the metta also deconstructs that separateness as we start with ourselves and benefactor and moving through friend and neutral and difficult in all beings as we move all through those categories. Then we can not only forgive others, but forgive life. We can forgive the Dharma for what it's dealt us. We can forgive life instead of thinking, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Just seeing... It's just happening. You can remove the me, you can remove the I, and just see, oh, this is just life unfolding. You might reflect what you're not ready to forgive. What gets in the way? What would you need to understand? And what would it be like to let go of the bitterness, of the disappointment? Just to incline that, your mind that way, and the heart starts to follow. I'll just close with this piece from Dana Falls called Awakening Now. Why wait for your awakening, she says. The moment your eyes are open, 
seize the day. Would you hold back when the beloved beckons? Would you deliver your litany of sins like a child's collection of seashells prized and labeled? No, I can't step across the threshold, you say, eyes downcast. I'm not worthy. I'm afraid. My motives aren't pure. I'm not perfect. Surely I haven't practiced nearly enough. My meditation isn't deep. My prayers are sometimes insincere. I still chew my fingernails and the refrigerator isn't clean. Do you value your reasons for staying small more than the light shining through the open door? Forgive yourself. Now is the only time you have to be whole. Now is the sole moment that exists to live in the light of your true self. Perfection is not a prerequisite for anything but pain. Please, oh please, don't continue to believe in your disbelief. This is the day of your awakening. Let's sit for a moment. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on July 11, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Aud. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.